Hello and welcome to this podcast series brought to you by Connect Health Tech, Cambridge University's Enterprise Zone and the gateway into the university's life sciences and health tech community for collaborations, companies and investors. I'm Paula Rogers-Brown, Business Community Manager for Connect Health Tech. And in this episode, we explore the theme of networking and building relationships. Joining me today is Dr. Hannah Roberts. Hannah is a career coach and professional skills trainer. During her extensive academic and industrial career, she took research from concept to startup, becoming a successful entrepreneur who started two businesses, including a university spin-out. Since 2018, Hannah has been a qualified and regulated coach trained in talent dynamics profiling, specialising in team dynamics, career planning, online networking and social media skills, research planning and funding, commercialisation and management tools. With clients spanning six continents, Hannah has a particular passion for diversity and inclusion and women's leadership development. Hannah, thank you so much for joining me today and agreeing to be our guest on Join the Dots podcast. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your career journey to date? You've gone from science, academia, to understanding and finding your true purpose as a professional skills and development coach. Tell me a little bit about you. Do you know, I always find it really strange when I hear someone else introduce me. So... <laughs> Yes, the short version is I have a degree, master's, PhD, postdoc in chemistry. I then spent eight years managing large multi-million pound projects between academia and industry and commercializing that research. And yes, as part of one of those um, commercialization projects, I started a spin-out company with three other female academics. And I did that management director kind of role for two years. And also that phase of my life while having three children. So it was kind of a I don't want to call it a stop-start phase because it was always a um, a journey of growth during that time, but it was definitely um, interjected with some some children along the way. And then obviously I decided on my third mat leave to retrain to be a coach and a professional skills trainer. And I've been doing that in my own business for, well, since 2019 now. So I think that phase when I was going from um, scientific project manager to coach was and the startup company was a really rich phase in terms of I've done everything that I can possibly do in the role I kind of stretched it as far as I could go and I also felt like there were other people around me that were doing a similar role that seemed to enjoy it more than me it seemed more effortless I always felt like I had to muster up the energy to do some of the big stuff that that role involved like writing grants or doing reports and I was always like oh Maybe I'll just do, maybe I'll just do this admin task over here. And I think what I realized, um, we went on one of these away days and we did some talent dynamics profiling, which I'm, it's no coincidence that I actually use that tool with my clients now. And I noticed like, okay, the result that came back reflected the position that I was in, but it sounded nothing like me. And actually I sort of saw myself at completely the opposite end of the spectrum. So I think that's the shift that I've made from being very much in the detail and the project management type role into what I do today, which is the coaching, the supporting and the training role. They're almost at opposite ends of the spectrum. So I have to say I am feeling a lot more fulfilled and happy in the work that I'm doing now than I did back then. 
Yeah, and, and at times I think all of us can have that work persona of doing something that's not quite as fulfilling as we thought it might be for ourselves. Um, but yet we continue on with it. And you've been very brave and saying, actually, this isn't this isn't for me. It's not giving me that that zest to get up and do it every day and and taking taking that new avenue that's uh, it's fantastic it really is so so what does an average day look like now for you as a professional coach oh wow um an average day well i kind of made up this job i made up the the role that i do so i have crafted why not <laughs> why not just make if it doesn't exist just make it up and i think it's changed and shifted from the beginning cuz I was quite institutionalized into that kind of nine to five mindset when I first started. So mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't take time off in the day to go for a walk or do things because I'm supposed to be working during this time. I've kind of crafted it around how I want to have my working week. So sometimes I'll have short days where I'll pick the kids up, at, you know, finish at half two and pick the kids up and they'll be at home early. And sometimes I'll do slightly longer days. Um, Sometimes I go out and I kind of um, have active breaks that I put in where I'm out walking in the countryside for a period of time. But on average, a Monday is my preparation for workshops and training things that I have ahead. So I don't see clients on a Monday. Um, Tuesday and Thursday tend to be workshop delivery. And Wednesdays and Fridays are my coaching days. So I'm almost 50-50 now between coaching and training. Sounds like you found the right balance there. Yeah, I would say I probably need another day on top of another that for <laughs> admin. <laughs> but at the moment, it seems to be all working its way way out. We're, we're all trying to, to squeeze in that eight-day week, I think they call it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What are the common misconceptions about professional development coaching that you can debunk and demystify for us? I think, first of all, what on earth is it? I, coaching yeah. has been around for really quite a long time. It had a boom more than a decade ago, but it didn't really filter into the higher educational section until I would say fairly recently. The difference between coaching and therapy, first of all, so therapy tends to be more past or present focused. The situation has happened and you talk through what's happened in order to understand it, feel better about it, and hopefully move forward feeling better about that situation. Mm -hmm. Whereas coaching is more future focused. It's saying, what is it that I want out here in the future, even if you can't define it yet, a coach will help you define what that next step is or that long-term vision. And then mapping it back out into achievable milestones and taking micro steps each and every week towards those, those goals. Yeah. And Typically, as humans, we get in our own way and we experience a lack of confidence or I could never or I can't say that to that person where we start getting in our own way. As a coach, I will use tools and techniques to help people move beyond those behaviours and reactions so they can actually do the things they want to do. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that um, um, coming up, actually. And, and you touched upon it there. Um, confidence and, and having that confidence to do things um, that you, you you wouldn't normally do or, or want to take a different avenue as, as you did um, in your career. In an article that I read, it's one that you wrote last year, you talk about that uh, although you got a first in your chemistry degree, achieved significant success in your career and looked to the outside world like the heroine of your very own story, 
what you felt inside was anything but because of all this pressure you put yourself under and many many people including those in our audience will relate to this confident on the outside but doubting yourself within can you unpack a little for our audience what confidence is and why it matters and like how in your experience we can be that both we're confident on the outside yet not feeling so confident on the inside I think it's a really interesting question actually and I'm not even sure is that confident to the outside world either (laughs) (laughs) just some really deep insecurities about myself based on stuff that happens in early childhood obviously triggers this and trauma can look different to different people for some people it's really negative family situations and for other people it's I was picked on in class to answer a question it the sensitivity of trauma and what happens to people is different for everybody. And it's all to be recognized under that that banner as well. Mm. So for me, it's not like major trauma or anything in my life. I'm just super sensitive to what people think about me. <laughs> um, setting really high standards for myself and expectations for myself and pushing through in order to get the results. And that kind of combination and having a really inner critical voice, that one that kind of compares myself unfavorably to other people. So having that nice little combination stress team, <laughs> as I like to call it, and picking that up throughout the sort of course of your life can result in some of those kind of self-sabotaging behaviors where you're not feeling so confident and therefore you don't take the actions that you want to take because of that lack of confidence and then you end up quite stuck and unhappy with the situation that you've got in front of you. I think I reached that point probably um, at the height of what I would call imposter syndrome but I guess it's a combination of thoughts, beliefs and emotions really, the lack of confidence that keep us stuck. Probably when I reached um, PhD to postdoc level So I'm sure many of the listeners um, are in higher education, so you'll understand the degree, master's, PhD, postdoc, going into early careers as um, a fellow lecturer, senior lecturer. It's like that career conveyor belt that you kind of step on. So when I got to the final year of um, my PhD, we just got married. I'm thinking, what steps am I going to take next? And um, I was recommended for a postdoc position. And even though I showed up, even though it's my CV and credentials, but like I only really got that because of this connection I had with this other person. So that left me feeling, oh, I really need to prove myself in this role. So working really hard, becoming the go-to person to get things done. Then I got pregnant within that role. I'm I'm on a 12 month contract. So sometimes the systems that are in place as well lead us further down that pathway. Because then I need a job to go back to after Matt leaves. So I've got to further mm-hmm. seek approval from the people, the powers that can be, who can give me a contract extension. And it starts to drive this behavior. I think that's at the time where I flipped into this really strong lack of confidence. And in order to deal with that, I put on this superwoman outfit. Yeah. Like mm. wearing my knickers on the outside, running around <laughs> like a lunatic. Going from one thing to the next to the next to the next so that I could so that I could have a job to go back to. That's the kind of situation that drives this um, masks and armor that we put on to get stuff done. Yeah. And it sort of feeds into those um, limiting beliefs that you touched upon. It's 
there are certain drivers, one you've just mentioned there, you know, having just a, a one-year contract fed into that driver, getting onto that postdoc ladder feeds in. There are, there are a number of drivers, all probably unique, because we're, we're all on our own journey, on our own path, um, but can really chip away at those confidence levels and keep us stuck, really. Um, so they're not, not uncommon, really, at all. I mean, a lot of us will probably uh, have experienced them at some point in time. Um, so this just sort of leads me on to, because in academia and in industry, we talk a lot about stuff we're dealing with or doing. It's about the research. We talk about the science and the project strategy or creating that spin out. But we rarely talk about the people aspect. Those wondering if they are brave enough, confident enough to take their research to the next level, perhaps create a spin out venture or, or those feeling anxious even about presenting at a conference or pitching for funding what are the steps that you would suggest baby steps even micro steps i heard you say earlier we can start to put into practice that can help build confidence levels and build positive beliefs and so we can start creating better outcomes for ourselves what would you suggest there hannah as I said before, with imposter syndrome or lack of confidence, it really boils down to a collection of limiting beliefs, emotions or behaviours that we um, thoughts that we believe to be true about ourselves. But they're not. They're not the truth. So it's anything like I would like to do that. But anything that comes after the but is the limitation. So I would like to speak up in the meeting. But what if I don't know enough? What if um, I get shown up by everybody else? What, what if? And what we do in coaching in particular is first of all, we identify what those beliefs are that are holding us stuck through various different exercises. And then we start to look at what is the vulnerability underneath that. Right. And learning how to cope and manage with our own fear and vulnerability around that limiting belief. So that then we can step into a more, let's say, powerful way of getting things done. Yeah. Exploring that in terms of we've identifying the um, the beliefs. What techniques can we use that you suggest that people can use to just start chipping away at those beliefs that but and the or oh, what if? How can we? What what are the tips out there that you could give that just help us to? take a breath and say, actually, I can or I might be able to. Yes. So I have a little model that I quite like to use in my clients called the cycle of creation, which is how your thoughts shape the reality that you actually see in front of your eyes. As an example, there's four parts to this. We start with a trigger or a moment that happens. So that might be you get an email from your supervisor and it says, come and see me now. And then what happens is we create a meaning out of that situation or trigger. So some yeah. people might be thinking now, oh my goodness, I'm going to get told <laughs> off. What yeah. did I do wrong? <laughs> and then we attach an emotion to the thought. So sometimes we can feel emotion, but we don't realize that it actually started with a thought and mm. a trigger. So the emotion might be panic, fear, anxiety. And then we take an action based on how we think and feel about ourselves, which might be, I need to reread over all the email trail to see where it all went so terribly wrong. Or I need to go and find a solution before I go to my supervisor. Or I need to stuff my face full of chocolate because <laughs> I feel so bad before I go. <laughs> Whatever it is, we take some kind of action. And that feeds into the next step. 
So if you think about that cycle, if we're preempting, we're asking the what if, we're projecting into the future that cycle. What if this happens, this trigger happens, this thing happens, and then we create a story about what might happen, we attach some emotion to it and feel that, and then we take an action. We might be in a situation and we're worrying and we're in that cycle, or it might be after the situation and we're ruminating and catastrophizing is just going around multiple times, and each time the story gets more elaborate, <laughs> eventually it's going to be the end of the world. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so if we're in that cycle, one of the things that really feeds that negative cycle are the beliefs we hold about ourselves. Because if I have the belief that I'm enough and I get an email from my supervisor, I'm going to go, wow, something good's coming my way, probably going to get promoted. We'll think of a good outcome for that cycle. But if I've got those beliefs of, I'm not good enough, not worthy enough, I'm not doing a good enough job, that's going to feed that negative cycle. So the first thing is to recognize when I'm in that cycle, so when I get stuck in my head, preempting, worrying, ruminating, and then it's to see that cycle for what it is, the story that we're creating, and see it for a story rather than the truth. And then ask yourself, okay, I've heard the story, I know what's going on, what's the actual truth in all of that? Huh. I got an email from my supervisor said, come and see me now. Everything else is a story attached to that truth. And each thought we have is a decision point. Do I choose to go down the path of, you know, impending doom of I'm not good enough? Or do I choose to stop that, see what the truth is and let it go and continue with my day in a different way? Yes. Yeah. And and that can be, that, that's really a powerful slightly objective way of looking at it from from your own individual perspective when you're really in the mire and stuck and just start cycling around those negative and limiting thoughts and beliefs um and potentially feed into why a lot of a lot of people will look for external validation oh yeah external <laughs> i am if, if i get that praise if my manager says i'm good then yes i have self-worth and and, and, and self-value and instead of actually thinking this really needs to come from within, within myself. And it's a challenge, I suppose. It's a real challenge, I, I imagine, people find in trying to put, a, put in a stop to um, those limiting thoughts. It's a challenge because if you think of it like um, a cup of tea, you're trying to get other people to pour your cup of tea for you and fill your cup of tea with mm -hmm. external approval. Um, if I work really, really hard and push through and do all this work, you're going to approve of me and I get my cup filled for me. Yeah, praise, what recognition, whatever it is. But limiting beliefs are like little holes in the cup. So they just drain all of that out. You're like, you feel yeah. it for a fleeting moment. You're like, oh, how good am I? And then you're, oh no, what about the next thing? Oh, and it all kind of comes out. <laughs> so what we want to do is obviously make sure that we are, it's a bit like, what is that art form where they um, put together the cracks of broken china with actual gold? Oh, so, yes. Yes, I know what you mean. Yes, I, there is a, yeah, I know, yeah. I don't know what it's called, but I know what you mean. And it can look really beautiful, can't it? it can. Yeah, and that's the thing. Let's, um, let's fill those cracks with something even more beautiful so that we're not in I'm not good enough, not worthy enough, not fat enough, not thin enough, not old enough, not yes. young enough, whatever it is. Let's make sure that all of those cracks are actually filled with something more powerful beliefs about ourselves. And instead, we can get external recognition and it fills the cup, but also we can fill our 
our cup ourselves. Yeah. We can reflect each day and go, actually, where did I add unique value today in the workplace? Where did I use a natural talent of mine in the workplace? What did I enjoy doing today? Um, when did I live in alignment to my values today? Just when was that joyful? Or we can go back through our day, relive some of those experiences, get that hit of endorphins that comes with the reliving of the good stuff. Mm-hmm. And then fill our own recognition cup in the process. That's really great. That that's really great. And it's it's stuff we can do instantaneously. We can take that away today and really start little baby steps of filling our own cup of joy. And this this also um, for me feeds into the confidence and limiting beliefs around networking. For many people, if you find networking, great. However, there are a lot of people who are more naturally introverts shall we say are not always confident to walk into a room and join a conversation with ease if you don't find it easy with limiting beliefs etc is there some kind of preparation that people can be thinking about doing in before going to a networking event Hannah yeah and I think networking has changed a lot actually over the pandemic so we've gone from being very much in-person networking events to being more online and that's been a really big shift so um i will give you some more thoughts about online networking but just as a starting point if we're in our own heads about how we're coming across to other people or how many people we have to go and talk to because lots of advice out there is okay get yourself ready steal yourself go and talk to five people job done you know that's the kind of advice we get just (laughs) rip the plaster off and go and talk to five people whereas my kind of thoughts on it are if we start to put the emphasis off us where we make it about us and our targets and what we need to get out of that networking and we make it about the other people there that shift in mindset really helps because and it does in presentations as well if it's not about you and it's about how you can be of service to anybody else in that room then it really helps to shift the introversion. It helps to shift the beliefs we hold about ourselves because I'm just going to another person and I'm interested in them in order to go, okay, I've heard this. How can I help? Can I introduce them to somebody that I know? Is there an article that I can give to them? Is it just that I give them the space to talk about what they're doing and that makes them feel good? How, How can I be of service? I think just that shift alone will really help um, each and every person to to get the maximum out of networking because when we go in with an agenda it's clear for the other person to see right. when we go with openness to what could be and a real drive to help and um, be of service to another person that is often reciprocated mm-hmm. so I don't need to worry in networking about what I'm doing I just need to be of service yes and offer offer something, as you said, to 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 others that's yeah could be of value to them. It's if you can, if you've got nothing to offer, you're offering someone your time and attention yeah. without going oh. But I'm thinking in my head, how do I turn this around to my agenda? Yeah. So what questions should you ask yourself so you don't waste a networking opportunity? Hmm. I don't think any networking opportunity is wasted. I think. I've been doing, as you know, you'll know from podcasting. So that in and of itself is a bit like um, having a lunch date with somebody or a networking opportunity in and of itself. And I was reflecting the other day that 
when I take the time to review what's been talked about in a podcast and I think about what I've actually learned and sometimes I even write about what I've learned because it's been so powerful that's where the gold is it's the gold is in the reflection after the networking what you've learned how you've grown what's what's been discussed there are so many a richness of ideas that come from networking but only if you take the time to process it yeah yeah that's true that's very true yeah do you have a networking story about yourself you could you could share with our audience something that's happened unexpectedly or was uh, particularly unique sure so um when I finished at the university I had 465 connections on LinkedIn so just like a normal average size network and I started a new business and I don't want to go around networking in person and traveling because I wanted to make this business work with family life so I'm like how how do you I hadn't even thought this through but how do I actually grow a business from my house essentially and I thought okay I'm gonna have to really get to grips with online networking in a really big way So I took some courses, particularly around LinkedIn and networking using LinkedIn, and I employed those strategies. So over the first six months of my business, I grew that 465 connections to over 9,000. But it's not about the size of the network. It was about being really specific about who I wanted in that network. And then it's about the numbers once you get really clear about who do I actually want to talk to online. And then it's the volume after that. So my network on LinkedIn now stands at over 24,000 and I'm using the same kind of techniques that I was back then. I'm being really targeted about who I want to speak to online. I'm growing an audience full of people who I want to talk to and I am engaging with that audience and putting content out there that will speak to those people. And in return, I don't, I don't message people. In return, people come to talk to me and that's that's how I like things to be. I don't want to be the nuisance in somebody's inbox, you know, when you connect with someone online and they, they do that horrible thing where they send you their CV straight away and ask for a job in a sector you don't even work in or something really inappropriate. So yeah, what yeah. people do to you that's inappropriate, just don't do it to them. <laughs> you know, just don't do that. I think that's a great example there. And particularly around LinkedIn, it's something I was I was going to touch upon is, how can people use digital platforms like LinkedIn um, or even um, our own Connect Health Tech online community to really become that super connector that no one forgets and people want to engage engage with and, and interact with? What, could, what techniques or tips could you give Hannah to help us all really get better at using these digital platforms? Yeah, I think, first of all, it comes down to the strategy behind why you're using it in the first place. So if I was doing this as training, I normally ask people to pick from a number of different strategies. Are you on there for job opportunities in the next six months? Mm -hmm. Are you on there because you're looking to um, get more collaborations in the work that you're doing, whether that's academic industry collaborations, maybe you're a business development manager and you need to um, get engagement for your particular business, that kind of strategy or clients. Maybe you're on there because you're not really sure why you're on there but you want to kind of future proof your career so you want to get more visibility for the work that you're doing and the impact that you're creating and naturally you're going to get more visible with the first two strategies anyway and noticing that that's my strategy for now and you pick one 
but it's not your strategy forever. If in a year's time you need a new job, you just switch strategies. But depending upon the strategy, it depends on what actions you're going to take online. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if I'm looking for a job opportunity, the people that I'm connecting with and asking to be my connections are going to be people who could potentially hire me or want to hire me or the people that work around that person as well in that group or recruiters in that particular sector. Mm. Whereas if I'm looking for um, collaborators or clients, that's going to be a specific person, isn't it, that you're looking for? Um, whether mm. for me it's women in STEM for um, a researcher in immuno, immunotherapy, they might be looking for people in industry in the R&D sector doing immunotherapy and just making stuff up. But um, And if it is the third one, which is more visibility, if you're working with a particular stakeholder of interest, you'll want to talk to them online. Mm. So it's getting really clear and focused about why you're showing up every day and the difference yeah. that's going to make for you. Otherwise, it's just another platform to consume. So I make sure that I'm not consuming any social media on that platform before I've taken my special actions. My special actions are basically connecting with some people who are relevant to me. So let's just call that 10 people a day. Um, it is commenting on uh, and engaging with people in my network on at least five posts. And it is putting one piece of content out there to make me visible on top of that. Now, not everybody's going to be um, straight in there with that strategy. But if you could do that once a week or twice a week for 15 minutes, you will notice a massive difference. Even if you don't put your own content out there, even if you just did those first two things, it would be a huge difference long term to the opportunities that you're going to see and see online but also the opportunities that come to you as well so there's some real real positive practical tips there that we can be deploying everybody that's listening straight away at least once a week you've heard it from dr hannah <laughs> I, like I like it um and with networking and online networking you, you touched upon it a little earlier and in terms of networking and building business relationships they're so intrinsically linked but it's so become much more challenging um, because of the pandemic accelerating all the digital platforms we use. And it's all about the clicks, the likes, the followers. But now we're starting to emerge and start connecting and reconnecting. An example you've just given, which is great on how to do that via LinkedIn. Um, but outside of that, when we start getting back into the physical realm and meeting people at events and so forth, how can we start new business relationships and new connections in this digital era? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question and one I've been pondering myself recently. And I have taken a piece of advice from a mentor, actually, which is around if you were in person and you were trying to develop um, connections and business development, you probably take at least three people out for lunch a week and have a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. So I'm sort of employing the same kind of thing, but online at the moment. So one of my lunch dates a week will be definitely a podcast recording with someone and talking to someone about their experiences. But also I'll also connect with other people that I find really interesting on LinkedIn or on an online setting and invite them to have just a 30 minute conversation okay. or even a 15 minute conversation. But I'm trying to do that at least three times a week. And it really makes a huge difference in terms of the interconnectivity of your network. 
you start to end up acting like a broker. So there's this really great piece of research and I'm really sorry because I can't remember which came from, but I'll send you the link to it. And they showed that one of the things that makes the biggest difference in your network is one acting as a broker. So that's when you personally go, okay, I know Paula um, and I know what what she's involved with. And I've met this other person over here and they don't know each other. So I'm going to make an online introduction for them on LinkedIn and just be the person that connects someone. And it makes a huge difference. This has been done for me before. And then I've ended up, you know, working with that person further down the line because of it. Or I've been invited to do a talk or whatever it is as a result. So it really improves the interconnectivity and the dynamic set of ties that you have in your network, which makes a big difference long term. So I would encourage you to act as broker and notice that in return, that interconnectivity will come back to benefit you as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it's it's free and easy to do um, acting as a broker. It, there's always there's always a, somebody, you know, who could possibly work or, you know, needs to know somebody else. It's it's easy to do. It's easy, easy and actionable. Um, it is. And just as it comes into your head, just yeah. go do it. Um, I do it at least four or five times a month. Definitely. Yeah. It pays dividends. So what would be your key steps to building meaningful relationships in general? Meaningful relationships. Mm-hmm. I think it's just remembering that people are just people. Doesn't matter what position they hold. It doesn't matter what credentials they've had or how they're introduced on a podcast episode. They're just a person yeah. with the same kind of vulnerabilities that lie underneath. So my advice is to treat everybody as a person and to really, really listen deeply to what it is that they're saying with an openness and respond to that. Don't come armed with um, whatever you need to get out of that thing. Be open to whatever comes up in that space. And you might find that that conversation goes to a whole different way than what you were expecting in the first place. Yeah, and it's a long-term thing, um, be building meaningful relationships. It's, I think your pointer about, um, you know, not going in with your own needs and wants straight away. Um, and it, it might mean for many months or years that there's nothing really potentially that you're you're getting out of it, apart from you actually like engaging and interacting with this person. But you never know, do you? You never know. And if you have something to, um, you know, to share or offer in that relationship, then, yeah, it's, you know, why not stick with it? We have so many different types of relationships all the time. So, yeah. We do. We do, absolutely. And I've had people who've been interacting with me for years before they end up becoming clients. Mm-hmm. And people that were introduced to me, we had an initial conversation and there wasn't much there, but then two years down the line, they're in a different job and suddenly you're invited to do something. Things change over time as well. So there's never anything lost from maintaining and keeping up relationships yes yeah you just got to put in a little work I do I always encourage people to do this as part of their job you know these 15 minute slots on LinkedIn because we get so busy working in our careers you know like head down producing that a lot of the time we forget to look up and work on our careers and it's only when we really need our network when we discover oh I don't actually have a network like I did you go, oh, wouldn't it have been great if for the last eight years I'd actually developed a network <laughs> to tap into at the time I need it? Oh, yes. I hear you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so if you are at that stage where you're not looking for a job yet, 
my suggestion would be this is the thing that's going to set you apart and make the biggest difference when you do need that job opportunity or something from your network in the future. So I think future-proofing your career is all about those tiny little steps each and every week that you maintain, develop your network, and over time, you will see the result. The problem is when we don't get that instant gratification sometimes from doing something, we think it's not working or it's not a useful, you know, 15 minutes of our time, but it is if we stick with it. Absolutely. And this can be applied to, to all all levels of career stages, whether you're an early um, career researcher, early stage career researcher, um, you know, a senior leader, manager, um, it, you know, a fellow, it doesn't matter what role you're in, whether it's in academia or industry, these are all really quite simple practical steps that, that you're, you know, you're, you're suggesting that we should all be doing. So it's, um, yeah, should be value to everybody. Absolutely. And I think we've come off that mindset now of a job is for life. You know, I've got I'm sat here in my senior lecture position and therefore I'm set for life. I think even now in academia, we can know that it's not as secure as it looks from the outside, that universities switch and change. They make people redundant. It's not that this is the ultimate you know, way to security anymore in academia. It's not. I think we should always need you know, develop our network and we shouldn't always stick to just Oh, I can relax now because I've got my job for life. I think there's a different kind of dynamic that's happening out there now in the world. And yeah. it's almost like the entrepreneurial mindset or the you know adaptability dynamic mindset is what's going to help us out in the future, not this mm -hmm. career for life thing, because it's yeah. just not realistic in this day and age. And this leads me to, to thinking about um, when I was looking at your, your website, the career design strategy. Mm. yeah talk me through um talk me through that and it's value to unlocking someone's potential so this is something that in terms of a strategy that I've developed after actually working with one-to-one -one clients over the first two and a half years of the business I started to notice after working with hundreds if not thousands of people at the same stage in their career that actually there was a series of steps that I'd started to develop to take people through in order to get them to that all-important answer of what's next and how do I actually make that happen okay, okay and for me there's kind of six stages to it first of all getting someone out of working um in their career to actually working on it so creating a structure around time and energy habits so that we can balance multiple competing areas of our life that's usually the first foundation and then I always work on someone's limiting beliefs thoughts and emotions to overcome them because mm -hmm. if we try and design a career from I'm not good enough or keeping ourselves small, it's not going to be filled with the same kind of potential than somebody who has overcome that and moved beyond it. That's my next step. Then I work with someone on finding flow. So this is where I bring in their natural talents and capabilities and look at, yeah, there's loads of things that I could do, but what am I actually naturally talented for? Because when we get into a flow state, we make better outcomes we make more impact we add more value and then it's just the byproduct of that is we actually get paid more the the upshot is that we're adding more value in the workplace when we're sat in a natural talent which is what I was not doing earlier <laughs> then the next stage so the fourth stage is defining the what's next so I'm looking at the um, vision that I have for the world that I would like to you know the legacy that I would like to leave 
and also um, the values that I hold as a person in life and aligning them to my um, career values as well. What's actually going to make me fulfilled and happy in my, in my work? Like a blueprint that you can go, this is what I've got in this current role, but how am I going to get more? Will I get more or less in, the, in this thing over here? You can use it like, um, like a blueprint. And also looking at your purpose, what's the thing that drives you when it comes to work? And then what I do is layer on top of that the next step, which is to look at your personal mission and how to articulate that in a way that people can understand. And then we move on to how do I position myself as that person in the marketplace? So starting to look at elevation strategies for your personal branding and um, how to be seen to be doing that. And then the next stage is obviously then to network yourself and package yourself up into, um, into that next step. So that's the kind of structure that I've come across. I'm very intrigued. Um, and in particular, um, finding your flow. It can be, if we go back to the top of the conversation, we talked about um, challenging ourselves to look at our limiting beliefs and take a step back and think, actually, take a pause and not get spiralled into this negativity. Finding your flow, for me, feels very similar in how do we look at what we are naturally talented and possibly capable at when we're entrenched on our road we've set ourselves on this conveyor belt and we're moving forward we're marching on how can we find that 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 space to to find those talents capabilities and what we're naturally good at the way in which i do that is actually through um personality profiling okay so these are using tools that have already been um put out there in order to find out what those natural talents are you're kind of auditing your talents. You can do this for yourself without those profiles by looking at the tasks that you do and um, turning them into skills and transferable skills. That will tell you what I've got already, but it doesn't tell you necessarily what you're naturally talented for. It tells you what have I got already. So I like to layer on the profile tool on top of that to go of all of those talents that I have already, what am I naturally talented for according to this profile? And what else might I want to develop in this next role that is aligned to those natural talents? So I might look at personal and professional development that can help me find more flow as well. Um, the trick with these personality profiles are, first of all, to, um, to get it debriefed properly by someone professional. Because you, do, you can do these online, but what does it actually mean if it comes back and it says you're 80% extrovert, 20% introvert? What does that actually mean, meaningfully mean to anybody? It needs Nothing. to be unpacked, yes. So this is where the debrief comes into its own. And it's also this checking and alignment to, okay, this is what came out, but what, where do you see yourself in terms of your own personal reflection? Because I had that mismatch between what it was and what, it, and what I thought I was. But actually, you intrinsically know when you start to do this debrief, okay, that's not right, but I can see where I am. And then you can go in depth there. Yeah. So I think it's just having some kind of support around debriefing what all that means and how you can design a leadership pathway for yourself from it mm -hmm. to add more value. What's the most important lesson you've learned so far in your career? That's such a tough question. Um, the most important lesson that I have learned is I think to really to really start to listen to yourself and your and what your body has to say. So for a number of years, 
I was overriding my head and my body with this superwoman. And I stopped listening to what I enjoyed, what was really making me happy and fulfilled. And when I started to, you know, go, oh, um, this coaching route or this, I started to feel that spark reignite. Yeah. So I guess my greatest lesson is to actually listen to what your body's telling you, not just what your head is telling you. Because as an academic, you can get very stuck in brain <laughs> on stick syndrome, whereas your body has a lot of information for you as well. Yeah. I know that sounds a bit weird, but whenever I followed my gut instincts, they seem to work out. Totally agree on that on that front. We should listen more to our gut instincts. It does it's never far wrong, is how I like to say. It's never far wrong. Um what who who inspires you? Um so I have lots of mentors that I find super inspiring in the coaching development training space. And they're an ultimate source of um <laughs> Of inspiration for me but I have to say I'm gonna go with my kids actually yeah they are really an interesting hotbed of learning ground for me and when we talked about triggers before they are some of the biggest triggers for me and a place where I can actively try and practice what I preach <laughs> in the most <laughs> triggered way possible <laughs> like the other week when um my middle child poured um, red food calling on the carpet not on purpose they were trying to make it look like um, a narwhal teddy had been killed by it was like a mass unicorn massacre goodness knows why like you ask yourself why or why <laughs> but I'm I'm having to like just think through this cycle all the techniques like, possible deploy everything <laughs> um but they I would say they're my richest learning ground um of all of all um and, and the way that, feedback say again you'll get honest feedback you get honest feedback absolutely <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> without filters <laughs> absolutely what books or podcasts are on your reading list um, or listening list that you would recommend? Because I think you've got you've got an interesting background and journey um, and, and are obviously interested in a, a whole range of things. So what would you recommend books or podcast wise to others? So at the moment, I am listening to Adam Grant's Work Life podcasts. He's an organizational psychologist and I find his insights really interesting. Um, so I would put that on your list if you haven't listened to any of his stuff before. <laughs> and oh, the books. I am terrible because I buy, I see something and I now have, I've got to say, I've probably got about 20 books lined <laughs> up waiting for me to read. And I start them and I have about 10 on the go at the same time. Yeah. Um, so it's a mixture of, you know, just um, just normal, like, let it go reading books. Like, I, I'm reading the Boudicca series at the moment, okay. um, which is really interesting. That's just, like, a non-fiction kind of thing. Fiction? I always get them mixed up. Um, I'm reading some stuff um, from Daniel Priestley about being the key person of influence and how to become mm -hmm. oversubscribed and things like that. So there's kind of um, more business development books. And then I've got the personal development stuff. So I'm reading The Essence of Womanhood by Susie Heath, who is all about getting back into your body. Um, so gosh, just everything. I just read whatever I can get my hands on really. 
No, I thought that'd be I thought there'd be a good list. I thought they would. Thank you very much. I just have a few quick fire questions, just off answers off the top of your head. If you could be an animal, what would you be and why? <laughs> um, I'm gonna go with some kind of sea creature. So I'm, I'm just gonna I don't wanna be too I'm gonna say narwhal, you know, some kind of sea creature <laughs> because I just I absolutely love wild swimming because I love the change of scenery that happens and I get into kind of like a meditative meditative state when I'm swimming. So that's my why. Okay. If you could time travel, where would you go and when? Okay, I would time travel into the future um, mm -hmm. 100 years so that I could stalk what my children and their grandchildren <laughs> are up to um, and, and kind of see what the legacy is that, I've created both at work and through the children and see what they're up to and maybe even try and shout some stuff down at them like <laughs> that's, lovely. that's lovely yeah looking into your legacy I like that um is it better to be lucky or make your own luck is that not the same thing the more luck that you create the more lucky you become I like it that's a good response um now, you're going to be stranded alone on a desert island here, Hannah. What are your three must-have items if you get stranded alone on this desert island? <laughs> um, swimming goggles, because then I can swim my way off the island. Um, probably going to need some Prosecco. Or, I'm going to go champagne because it's a bad situation. Absolutely. Why um, not? And then I'm going to conjure up my um, best friend to join me um <laughs> for the champagne so we can enjoy ourselves before we swim off the island and go somewhere else it's a plan why not it's a plan what music discovery or rediscovery have you made since the pandemic began <laughs> um i have rediscovered the spice girls very recently <laughs> so um been yeah i have been listening to their music even in the last week actually i come from spice girl era and um i think i'm just going through a backtrack of all of my favorite music from way back when yes but, um yeah kind of music has a way of transporting you back to a moment in time so it's a great way to trigger memories and just a state or a feeling i think fantastic well, that is the end of the podcast. Um, I'm sure people are itching to know where they can reach out to you or check out your um, your coaching work. Um, so, yeah, please, what's your website um, address? Where can people find you? So the best place to go is clearly LinkedIn. So if you type in Hannah Roberts Coaching, you'll find me on LinkedIn or have a very strange middle name. It's Nike, N-I-K-E-K-E. So if you go for a web address, it's hannahnikeroberts.com. Fantastic. Thank you. So Hannah, it was an absolute pleasure to talk to you this afternoon. We could go on wild swimming um, and, <laughs> and other subject matters. So thank you so much for being uh, my guest today on this podcast and sharing all your knowledge and experience of your journey, which has been um, absolutely fantastic. Thank you so, so much. We really, really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you, Paula.